this series, what we found is that there is so much more for us to know and so much more for us to grow in our relationships. I think every single one of us would put our hands up if we asked the question, who still needs to grow in their relationships? All of us would put our hands up. There's so much more that we can learn and so, much more, so many more ways for us to be intentional about relationships. And that's really what we've tried to express that God wants us to be intentional, to focus on our relationships, to, to, to look at the importance of relationships and actually put effort and investment into healthy relationships. Because honestly, it is one of the greatest blessings that you would ever be able to experience in this life. When you have got solid relationships, when you have got a healthy marriage and, and, and a loving home and, and, and a place where children are growing up and they're, they're secure and, and you have this graceful journey in life, it is quite literally strength to you. Nothing, nothing will, will strengthen your resolve outside of the gospel more than your relationships. The, the, the gospel and Jesus' love for us is obviously our foundation and, it's, and that relationship is the primary relationship that gives us strength. But quite literally, the people that God has put in your life, healthy relationships, will strengthen you. It will strengthen your resolve. And people will become like pillars in your life as you run your race. It'll give you emotional health and virtue to deal with whatever life throws at you. Have you ever found that when you've got conflict in your life, when you've got bad relationships, or where you've got broken down relationships, everything else feels like it's too much? Right? You try and go to work on a Monday morning and, uh, and you've just had an argument with your spouse or there's some sort of a, an issue in your life and you get there and your boss puts a stack of work down on your desk and all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed. You're just like, this is too much. I can't handle this because your virtue has been tapped by your relationships and by poor relationships. But when you've got healthy relationships and you've got a strong marriage and, and you're experiencing God's best in those relationships, how many of you know your boss can put 10 snacks on your desk and you're like, bring them on. I'm ready for this. It's like trying to run a marathon when you're sick. Imagine trying to run the Comrades Marathon, but at the same time, you are unhealthy and sick. You wouldn't be able to complete it. But when you're healthy, you've got virtue to run. And so God wants to give us this virtue through healthy relationships by us being intentional, by us investing time and effort into those relationships. And so it would do you good to do that. Some of these things we don't really begin to experience until we go on the journey. There are things like that in life that we don't get to experience until we've actually traveled there, we've gone there, we've, we've, we've gone through the process, and then we begin to understand why God was so intent on us following through on those relationships. I remember... Um, about two years ago, I was in the state of Florida in the U.S., and I was visiting a friend out there, and, and uh, you know, Florida is in general quite a beautiful place. When you fly over Florida, when you're coming into Orlando to land, you just see little bodies of water just everywhere. There's just, it's literally like a big swamp uh, with houses in between. There's, there's water everywhere, and every house seems to be built on water, and there's alligators that kind of roam free. If you've ever watched Gator Boys or one of those discovery shows where, yeah, that's a real thing. People actually, they, you know, there's just so many animals. I was with a friend of mine, that same friend there in Florida, and at one point, just like, you know, a black bear just ran across the road. It's like, why is this bear roaming around the streets? And uh, they, kind of, they kind of have that. They think that about Africa. They think there's lions roaming around. Meanwhile, they've got black bears roaming around. Um, and in general, it's quite beautiful and always beautiful trees or whatever. But at one point, he said to me, he wants to show me something just extraordinary, just something just so exceptionally beautiful. 
And so we drove uh, a little while, and we got to uh, what was a national park, and we, we paid our fees and went in and parked. And it was beautiful, but it just looked like the rest of Florida to me. It just had, you know, nice trees and, and, and really old, big trees and plants, and it kind of feels a little bit tropical out there. And, and so we, we start hiking, and we're hiking through um, this park. And, and again, it's beautiful, but it's not like anything that I haven't already seen um, in Florida until after having gone a bit of a distance, after having gone on a bit of a journey, we went down some stairs and down this little route, and eventually we arrived at what is um, quite common in Florida, which are these natural springs, and this was at Wakiwa Springs, and I actually got a photo here that I took that day with my phone, and this is literally a freshwater spring just in the middle of Florida, and the water there is always a consistent 27 degrees, so it's actually quite warm when you get in. And inside of it, you have rock pools and, and, and uh, all kinds of, of life. There are turtles that like swim around, and, and they just kind of build some stuff. You can, just, you can see there's like a guy who just doesn't care anymore. He's beyond the point of caring. He's got his snorkel, he's got his beer belly, and he's going for a swim today. And... Um, and, and, and people just go there to swim, and what you can do is that you, you can hire a canoe, and you can actually just travel down those channels for miles on end, and it is incredible how beautiful the things are that you begin to see. And what I realized as I was thinking about relationships is that there are some parts of relationships, and there are so, there's something that God has put into the design, just like He created those springs, that you will not experience unless you go on the journey. If we hadn't gone on that hike, if we hadn't walked the distance, if we hadn't gone down those stairs and walked through the trees to get to that point, it would just be something beautiful that God created that we never experienced. Unless you go there, unless I got into that water and I was able to swim there, now I've experienced it because I went there. And there's things like this in the world. I, it's something that actually fascinates me and that I, I love to think about and talk about. I've got a friend, for example, um, who traveled to Iceland. Now, who has ever been to Iceland? Literally no one. Why? Because it's far. Iceland is far, and not only far, it's cold. But I have a friend that traveled there, and he's a photographer, and he traveled there specifically because in um, every season, um, the, the ice melts, and then it refreezes, and as it refreezes, it creates ice caves that will only be there for that one season and will never be repeated again. So when you stand in a cave like this one, like a friend of mine over there, when you stand in that cave, the next season, the cave will look different. And so every year there's a new cave. And why have none of us experienced that? Because it's far and it's cold and you have to trek through the snow. So we haven't experienced that because it, it requires a journey. Another thing that I love to do is I literally take, you know, if you ever have a globe, one of those spinning globes at home that maybe your kids have, and I always love to turn it around and go, what is the furthest thing, like the most north or the most southern or the most extreme point? And then I'm like, I want to go there, you know, like Easter Island. I don't know. I have no idea what's there, but I want to go there. And I like Easter, so it seems like a good idea. And, um, and so I did this where you kind of go down to New Zealand, and when you look at the globe, you realize how low down New Zealand really is. And then you turn the globe over, and you go into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you have these islands um, in the French Polynesia that's just literally, literally as far as it takes for you to fly from here to New Zealand, when you get into New Zealand to Auckland, you fly as far as you flow from here to there and halfway around the world again. It's double the length of the flight. You arrive at islands in the middle of nowhere, the French Polynesia, 
Bora Bora and all those islands. And it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, have anybody here ever been to, to the French Polynesia? Why? Because it's on the other side of the planet. And it's expensive to get there. So you haven't been there. Um, another one that I love to look at are the fjords in Norway, just these bodies of water in Norway. And, and here's a, a picture of one of those fjords that just beautiful places, but very few of us have been there because it requires a journey. And if we don't go there, we can look at the pictures, but we'll never really know how majestic it is. And the same goes for our relationships. We judge our relationships on, we think marriage is this. We've prejudged marriage is this, friendship should look like, look like this, church should look like that, family should look like this, and we've got a, a, a perception in our minds. But unless we trust God's design and actually follow through and go through the process, we will never really know how majestic those things are. So I want to encourage you not to judge too early what you think in your mind marriage should be or relationships should be, but to trust God to allow Him to reveal the fullness of it. When I watch movies with Lee, um, she has something that she does which actually causes her to miss out a lot, which is that she judges the movie in the first two minutes of the movie. And if in two minutes it hasn't absolutely sold her and captured her imagination, she switches it off. So I asked her the other day, like, have you watched La La Land? It's a pretty good movie. And she's like, no, she hasn't, because in the beginning they get out of their cars and sing. So she switched it off. I'm like, yes, I know that part's a little weird, but you missed out on what's a pretty great movie because you switched it off. And some people do that with relationships. They miss out on the full picture of marriage, the full picture of parenting, the full picture of, of, of friendship because they switch it off according to a bad experience they might have early on. And we want to go beyond that. We want to trust God. Trust me when I say that unless you're willing to follow God's lead, and trust in His design as the author of marriage and of parenting and of friendship, you're never going to get to experience the full, His full goodness and glory in life. Relationships are a glorious thing. They're an amazing thing. I know many of us have been hurt, and we spoke about restoration last week, but we shouldn't allow bad experiences to keep us from experiencing God's fullness. Amen? Come on, I don't ask for an amen often, but that's one that I want you to amen on, because we shouldn't allow those things to keep us from experiencing God's fullness. No matter how much money you have or how many cars you own or where your holiday home is, many, many rich people all over the world would trade all of that and more for, for the glory of having just one genuine, fulfilling, God-honoring relationship in their lives. It's something that, that is free for all of us and something that money can't buy. It, it's, it's free yet it's invaluable, genuine, authentic relationships. So people who discard God's design miss out on experiencing the fullness thereof. When we discard God's design and God's thought, and the world really has, our culture really has this way of short-circuiting God's plan, short-circuiting uh, those things. They, they, they trade in Bora Bora for, uh, you know, some time in Durban, and let me, Durban's great, but Bora Bora's better, right? So, so that's what people do in relationships, and, and for example, when it comes to marriage, people say, well, that's uh, an antiquated idea, and it's, out, it's, it's irrelevant, and it's, it's out of date, and so we're not going to get married or commit to a covenant, let's just move in together. 
let's just live together and, and sleep together and just kind of live as if we're married without actually taking the steps of making a covenant promise to each other. You're short-circuiting the journey and you're missing out on the glory. You won't know how great marriage can be until you actually go through the difficult steps of committing to it and allowing it to play itself out when you arrive at this place. It's felt like a really long journey. When you travel to Iceland or to the French Polynesia or to any far-off place, the journey isn't always fun. When you climb a mountain, if you've ever climbed a mountain, whenever I've thought to myself, I go to Cape Town, I think, why take the cable car? I'm young, I'm fit, I can climb this mountain. Five steps later, I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? I've done it like three times. I'm like, why do I forget every time? But you know why I forget? Because when you get to the top, it's so worth it. You forget all the pain of the climbing and the traveling and, and what it took to get there, and you just enjoy the view, and it's an amazing experience. And so when we just go on the journey, even when it's difficult, we just keep trusting God, we arrive at a place where we realize this is actually better than we could ever have dreamed. So when we short-circuit God's plan, we miss out. The creator of relationships and the creator of love, who is love himself, and the designer and the creator of sex, when he says this is the best way for it to be, we've got to trust that that's the best way for it to be. And anything less is us missing out. It's us falling short. It's us not being able to experience all of it. But you won't know until you commit to the journey. You won't know until you go. And one of the areas where this is very true for us, an area that few people commit enough to, to be able to experience the fullness of the blessing that it's meant to be, is the area of church, is the area of the church community, is the area of being a part of the body of Christ. And so today, I want to talk to you about sacred church, sacred community, the sacred uh, body of believers. People see church as something that they do for God. People see the church as, even the word church for a lot of people has a negative connotation. And they think, well, that is me fulfilling my duty. If I'm going to be a good person and if I'm going to, if I'm going to kind of be a religious person, if I'm going to be a good member of society, then what I should do is I should go to church and God will be so happy with the fact that I went to church that, you know, he'll bless me because I'm, you know, I'm faithful. But, you know, church isn't something that you do for God. If anything, it's something that God has done for you. It's something that he uses to bless you, to empower you, and to use you to bless others. And as you bless others, you realize that it's blessing you, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so church is an area that people just don't commit to because we've, got, we've, we've seen a bad movie. And some, maybe your experience with church has been poor. Maybe your experience of church felt like the first two minutes of La La Land where people are jumping out of cars and they're all singing. It's kind of what happened here this morning. And you're like, I'm not watching the rest of this movie. Why are these people weird? That's not real life. And so you might have seen church that way, but the truth is, is that church is one of the greatest blessings that God has given us. And few people go on the journey long enough to experience what so many of us have. As someone that's actively been a part of the church community literally since birth, and I've served in church, I've worked in church, I've led church for years, I've got to tell you that you just don't know what you're missing out on. If you're just an acquaintance of the church, if you're just somebody that kind of, you know, comes into a seat and then, and then leaves and, and it has no real effect on the rest of your life, I've got to tell you that there's more. 
I've got to tell you that you're missing out on friendships and relationships and meaning and purpose and, and, a, and a journey and, 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 a, and a purpose that God has called us to. Something, a difference that we can make in this, in this city. And so for us that have walked in it, for us that live in it, um, it's like discovering the most beautiful of waterfalls somewhere in a hidden corner of the, of the earth and then coming to all of our friends, phoning everybody we know and saying, you have got to see this. Have you ever eaten something that really tastes good and you'll even just walk around to strangers and say, please just taste this? How amazing. <laughs> the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And for those of us that have tasted the goodness of His community and of church, And we just want to tell people about it. We just want people to commit to it because we know that there is a blessing in the commitment. There is a blessing in the journey. When church works the way that God intended it to, there is nothing more beautiful on this earth. Just think about it for a moment. A community of people that are of one heart, of one mind, of one vision, of one spirit, that have put aside their differences, that have put aside their, their, their racial differences and their, and their socioeconomic differences and their uh, cultural differences and whatever their prejudice and their bias is. And we all say that in Jesus, we are one family, one people, one heart, one mind with one vision. And that is powerful. That is beautiful. Every movie that has been made, uh, especially the sports movies, tries to capture that, but there is nothing as glorious as the church the family of God with one vision. The church has been persecuted for years. Do you know that we are not a part of just this community, but we're a part of the community in Joburg, in South Africa, the global church, and also the church of history. We're a part of that picture. We're a part of that story. And for years, they've persecuted the church and said, let us end the church, only to see the church be stronger and stronger through the persecution only for this community to continue thriving and and, and influencing and making a difference through the generations. And one generation simply hands the torch of the gospel on to the next generation. We run when it's our time to run, and then we call our children forward and say, now it's your turn to run. What What a glorious thing to do with your life, to run the race that God has called you to, and to be a part of something that has so much meaning and so much purpose. Nothing will bless you more. Nothing will help you more. Nothing will grow you more or establishing you more than being a part of an authentic community of believers. And that is why Jesus is so passionate about the church. It's his body. It's his body. When, when Saul went out persecuting the church and throwing um, Christians in prison and, and voting against them so that they would be stoned to death, and Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he didn't say, oh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting my, my church? Why are you persecuting the people that believe in me? His words to Saul were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We are him. We're a part of him. We've been unified with Christ through our faith, and we are his body, and so Jesus is passionate about it. Many people view the church as an institution or as an organization or as a religion, And their thought about church is that it's outdated, it's irrelevant, and quite honestly, it's boring. But when you come across a life-giving church, a church that honors Jesus, a church that's authentic, a church that believes in the gospel, a church that's driven by the Holy Spirit, nothing could be further from the truth. People often say, what is a life-giving church? We'll say, if you've been in a life-sucking church, you'll know what it is, right? 
when you leave and you feel, meal, you, you feel as if you're more uh, burdened and condemned and unsure about yourself and as if the virtue that you had for life has been sucked out of you a little bit, then that's a life-sucking church. But when you leave believing the best is yet to come, that Jesus is involved, that you know the righteousness of God and the love of God that is for you, that's a life-giving church. The word church that we use, that we translate into English as church, actually comes from the old German word, which was pronounced kish, uh, or in Scotland it was kirk, and obviously in Afrikaans or Dutch it's kerk. Um, and this refers to, that, that word actually refers to the house of the Lord or as a circle of meeting, but it's not the original Greek word. It's actually a mistranslation, and it's something that we use um, in, in, in how we speak about church. But it's a mistranslation of the word that we find in the New Testament for the word church, which is the word ekklesia. And the word ekklesia is the Greek word that comes from two words, ek meaning out, and kaleo meaning call. And so literally what we are is not an organization or a religion or, or just you know, some sort of a program. This is not self-help. We are a community of called out ones. God has called us out. And the first time we see God talking about an ecclesia is all the way back in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt and God calls them out of Egypt and then it spoke about the church in the wilderness, the congregation in the wilderness, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And so Egypt and how God calls people out of that slavery and leads them into the promised land and into purpose and into influence is the story, it's the picture of us as the New Testament church. We are called out of slavery to sin and to the world. Out of that slavery, into freedom. And in that freedom, we begin to walk it out with God as we find freedom in our personal lives on that journey until that's such a point as we can enter into the fullness of what God has for us. You know, they say that, uh, that Israel came out of Egypt and it took them a day or two to get out of Egypt, but then it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. And that's the, the journey that we go on, that God calls us out. But this process, this journey, is us getting the old slave mentality out of us and walking in the freedom that God has for us. And so we're the called out ones the ones that have been set aside. The church is not a building. We have a building because it's useful. Because if we had no building right now, there would be sun shining on us and we'd all be getting a sunburn or, or, or the wind would be blowing things over. So we use buildings because they're useful, but the church is not a building. We're not an organization. Although we have an organization because the organization is useful. It's a tool that we use and we need to pay our tax and we need to do our things and we need to, you know, we, we need to be a part of, of, of an organization in order to function, but we're not an organization. We're not a charity, although we do a lot of charity work. This is not philanthropy. The church is the called out ones set aside for a purpose and a plan that God has, a community of people who stand together, and Jesus is passionate about his church. Uh, Mona and Militia's little girl, Callista, um, how old is she now? She's two years old. In this week, she told uh, Militia, Jesus likes Anchor Church very much. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Like, that's, that's what we need to know, is that this is the kind of church where Jesus is welcome, where he is honored, and where we are showing people who Jesus is. That's really our heart. In Matthew, Jesus speaks about his heart for the church, and he says, 
um, to the Pharisees and to the people in the temple, he says to them, a zeal for the house of God, for the people of God has consumed me. A zeal for the house of God has consumed me. He's passionate about it. And there's the story of what happens in, in Matthew 21. One of the first things that Jesus does as he comes into Jerusalem in the last week of his life is he goes to the temple. And he finds something in the temple that he doesn't like. There's some things that Jesus sees in the church that he wants to change. And we want to be on a journey where we can be the kind of church that Jesus likes very much. That we're honoring him and that we're not making it difficult for people to get to God. And here in, in Matthew 21, we see the situation I'm going to read from verse 12, and it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have preferred, uh, prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city, uh, out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And I just want to focus on that scripture today in us talking about how the church is sacred and the kind of church that God desires and that we endeavor to be and will continue endeav endeavoring to be and that you can be a part of. Um, I don't know, have you ever had this when um, you're, you're at home, maybe it's a Saturday or it's on the weekend, and many of us know that we try and keep our homes tidy during the week because, you know, we have to function and we have to, but when it's the weekend, you know, sometimes things just get away from us a little bit and you'll have clothing strewn all over the home and dishes from things that you've eaten in front of the TV and, and maybe there was a spill or a mess and you thought you'll clean it in the week again um, or whatever. And, and you've just got, kind of got your house is a mess and it's lying around and stuff is lying around, especially if you have kids. When you have kids, this is multiplied by like a thousand times. Um, I saw a t-shirt. Um, it wasn't in the correct size, but I'm definitely going to go back to get it for my boys. I've got three little boys. And uh, the t-shirt said, I am the reason why we cannot have nice things. And um, that is true of all three, my children. They are the reason why I can't have nice things. And so if you have kids at home, you'll know what it feels like to live in an often untidy home. And, um, and then what happens, and this has happened to me several times, one of my friends, perhaps somebody that I haven't seen in a while, um, if they live in another city or if they you know, are not that close, um, they'll phone me and they'll say, hey, we're in the area, can we pop by? Have you ever had that? And so you commit up front on the phone. You're like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, this is no problem. And while you're on the phone, you look around at your house. And it literally looks like a bomb went off inside your house. I mean, I actually remember when I was a kid telling my mom that I'm not going to clean my room because when people come to rob us, they'll look through the window and go, we're too late. Someone's already been here. <laughs> so this is a security protocol, mom. Just leave it as it is. And for some people, it looks like our homes have been ransacked. And so you're on the phone, and they're like, we're in your street. And you look around, and you realize this house is a mess. And what do you do? It is instant cleanup. The entire family is engaged, but nobody cares about where things get stored as long as they're out of sight. So you open cupboards, drawers, just like you. I mean, you're throwing things in the swimming pool. Just anything, just get it out of sight. It takes you like two months afterwards to just find your stuff again. 
And then they ring the doorbell, but you're not ready. And so you let them stand at the door for like three minutes while you like shove the last few things into, into the drawers, into the oven, into like everything. And then eventually you walk over and you open the door and you're like, hey, welcome. You just pretend like it hasn't been panic. And, uh, and you let them in and, and your house looks so great. And, um, and they'll say things like, man, does your house always look this neat? And you're like, yeah, you know, kind of. You know, it's kind of like, until you open the fridge and there's like a pair of socks and shoes in the fridge. Like, oh, I just like to have cool feet. That's why I put this in here. But here's the thing. We like to pretend, especially here at church, that our lives are perfect. We like to pretend like we have it all together. We like to pretend like we don't have a mess in our lives sometimes. We want to put our, our best foot forward and, 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 and always put on this, this, this facade that tells people, we're okay, we're doing great, our lives are, are all together. So I was quite amazed when I, I read an article recently that said that there's actually a, a, some studies that have been done that shows that when, you have, when your home is too perfect and you have people over to your house, it becomes increasingly difficult for you to actually build authentic relationships. Because people walk into your house and everything is exactly in its place, and all of a sudden it's almost like it becomes a little formal. And they sit down for dinner and everybody's extra polite and the, the cutlery is just perfect and everything is just, you know, and, and it actually takes on a formal sense that shuts down authentic relationship building. And so pretense and, and perfection and putting forward this kind of view that we've got it all together can actually stunt your relationships from growing well. It actually doesn't build authentic relationships. It's like you've booked 90 minutes with a service provider instead of actually letting people into your space without over-formalizing it. So I've got to tell you that, that I am a little bit OCD and, and I want my, my house to be perfect most of the time. But I remember one morning coming downstairs and, and the boys were sleeping over at my parents' house and I came downstairs and it was this amazing thing that happened. Everything was still in the position I left it in when I went to bed. Like there was no cereal on the floor. There was no milk spilt anywhere. You know, there were no kitchen cupboards open. The fridge alarm wasn't going off. Like it was just the way I left it. And can I tell you, I hated it because it felt like there was no life there. And so we want to experience something better than that. I have a few friendships that are so real and so authentic that just, there's just no pretense left anymore. I remember visiting my friend Mark Crossman when he was still living in Cape Town. He's also a pastor. And, um, and you know, they didn't have enough space in their house for me and for the boys and and so I ended up sleeping in his little girl's bunk bed. And his little girl slept with his wife, and he slept on the couch. And we did that for like a week. And it was amazing. And one night, I joined him on the couch. Or not the same couch, different couch. <laughs> same room. And then we ended up discussing Romans 9 until 3 in the morning. So the next night, I went back to the bunk bed so that we could get some sleep. But when... But when you have friends like this, like I have friends, Kieran and Jamie, and I, um, I'm going to go up in a few weeks' time to Zambia. I'm going to be preaching there, and I'll be staying with them again. And, uh, and when, I, when Kieran and Jamie are over, 
Um, you know, there's no agenda. They arrive in the morning, and we're like, hey, let's do breakfast, and we'll have breakfast, and then we'll hang out a little bit, and he's like, are you guys hungry again? Let's go somewhere for lunch, and we'll drive somewhere and have lunch. I'm like, do you guys feel like watching a movie? Then we'll watch a movie. Before you know it, it's midnight, and we're on the couch, and we're chatting, and we've been together the whole day, and it just feels so comfortable. Will and Nungi is another couple that I have, like, a friend's in our lives, like uh, oftentimes on a Sunday night, it'll be Will and Nangi and myself and the family and whoever's there, and we're all under one blanket just watching TV. It's, it's, it's not over-formalized. It's real. It's authentic. We're in each other's space. We're, we're journeying together. So you see, when a relationship is real, there is space for you to kick your shoes off. There's space for you to be real. There's, there's wrestling room. You can, you can journey with people. So many people get offended with the church. The church offends them. You know why the church offends you? There's many reasons, but one of them is, is because we're imperfect people. And when you journey with imperfect people for long enough, at one point or another, you're going to get irritated with them. You, you might be willing to die for your family, but how many of you know that sometimes you also want to kill them? Because people can be irritating. So we're committed to our families, and we say, even though you irritate me, I love you, and I'm going to stick with you, but when it comes to the church, we don't treat it the same way. We treat the church as if it's set up to bless me only, and if, if I don't like the way that it is, I'll just leave. You're short-circuiting God's plan. You're missing out. And I saw something that Francis Chan said um, recently, and I, I saw it this week, where somebody came to him and said, you know, I really didn't like worship today. And he responded by saying, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> like it wasn't actually for you, it was actually for Jesus, so it doesn't matter if you enjoyed it. But people get offended very easily with the church. But when relationships are real, when you're a real person relating to real people, there's wrestling room. And one word or one argument or one offense or one thing that happens doesn't break the relationship. It's just a moment for you to work through and actually strengthen the relationship. That's when, what happens when, when relationships are real. And, and if one word can break it, then it was never a real relationship because real relationships are more robust than that. And I've got to tell you that as a church, we value this kind of authenticity. It's one of our main values. We've spoken about it right from the beginning when we started, is that we said we just want to be a group of friends, a family that's on, a, in, on an authentic journey to pursue the reason for which Jesus pursued us. That's why we're here. We want to be authentic. We want to be real. And in being authentic, we can tell you that sometimes we're not perfectly authentic. It would be inauthentic for us to say that we're authentic all of the time. But it's our heart's desire that we would be more and more like the kind of church that Jesus longs for us to be and have real relationships. As a church, the moment you're a perfect church, you'll no longer be an authentic one. They say, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it, because the moment you join it, it won't be perfect anymore, okay? <laughs> because we're real people, and real churches are made up with real people who are really imperfect. And so what it requires, if we're going to commit to a sacred church, to being the church of Jesus, is that we need to make, make allowances for each other. We need to make room for each other. We need to forgive each other. Paul gets this. He gets that the church is not a perfect production, but it's always growing. It's always a journey. We're, we're making mistakes, but we're pressing on. It's an evolving story. And that's what our relationship with God is like. I want to tell you this morning, if you're a visitor with us, 
We do not expect your walk with God to just be this perfect production. We don't expect you to come here and pretend like you have perfect faith and that you've got a perfect walk with God and that you've got nothing to learn and that you don't need to grow because this is a journey, not just a destination. When Jesus steps into our lives, he steps into all of our mess. When when Jesus comes into your life, how many of you know that sometimes Jesus comes into our lives in a very inconvenient time? When things are falling apart. I've had people, when I, I share the gospel with them, and they'll tell me, you know what, when I get my life sorted out, I'll meet with Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to church. But right now, I've just got stuff figured out. I'm not good enough to come to church yet. I'm like, that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. So it's kind of like your life might be a mess, and you might have stuff strewn all over uh, on the inside, and you might have things that you're figuring out. And then Jesus calls you on the phone, and he's like, hey, I want to pop in. Like, I wanna, I'm going to come over. I wanna, I wanna, Jesus says, I stand at, the, at your door, and I knock. And if you open, I'll come in and eat with you. It's, it's exactly that thing. And what we do is, is that we think that we need to clean everything up before Jesus, we can allow Jesus in. And so this is what we do. We say, hey, Jesus, um, uh, sure, let's, let's meet up. I, I have a great idea. Let's meet Sunday morning, 9 a.m., Langham's Four Ways. There's a church there called that. Let's meet there, Jesus. And Jesus just stands at the, at the door of your life, and he goes, no, no, you can just let me in right now. I'm here. I'm at your front door. I don't want you to come to church putting on your Sunday best, putting on your, your best fake smile, pretending like your life is perfect and all the pretense and all the, you know, the, the I, I'm this solid Christian and then I come to church and then I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to even clap. I mean, that's out there. I'm going to clap during praise because then no one will know. Um, I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do what the pastor says and, um, and then Jesus will be happy. Jesus is like, I don't, I don't want an authentic relationship with you. I want to be a part of your life. I want to step into your mess. I want to help you with the things that you're struggling with. Jesus wants us to, he invites us to let him into our real lives and allow him to lead us in his real life. And Jesus fought for us to have this kind of access. In our scripture, Jesus gets mad at the guys that are selling things in the temple. Because ultimately, the temple was a place for people to come and make up for the things that had separated them from God, the sins that they had committed. And so instead of being able to find grace, instead of being able to find forgiveness, they now had to pay money in order to be forgiven. So they had to pay their way to God and earn their way to God. And they turned a relationship with God into a formal transaction. And this is not the heart of God. He doesn't want your formal transaction church. So what does Jesus do? He runs into the formal religious process and he overthrows the tables. He flips them upside down. You can just imagine coins flying everywhere. He makes a mess. Can you imagine? You've got pigeons flying. You've got chairs strewn. You know, you've got, he ripped the curtain. He literally ripped the curtain. He's like, this is the temple. But Jesus messes it up because what he says is, he says this, this powerful thing, He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus says, I don't want your formal transaction. Prayer is communication with God. And I want people to come and connect with me. That's what this place is meant to be about. Not about paying your way to be right with God again. Everybody is welcome in this space. And the next thing, they take the blind. 
and the lame and the cripple. And the people that wouldn't, it wouldn't be great to have cripples and blind people like sitting right in the entrance of the temple. And so um, oftentimes they would put them in one of the outer courts, take all of those really, you know, not so great looking people, the cripples and the blind and the lame, and just put them around the corner there. We won't be real around here. We'll pretend like we can all walk and see. And all of a sudden when Jesus messes up the temple, they bring the blind and the lame back and he heals them. You see, that's God's heart for the church, is rather than us all pretending like we have it together, we can come here and admit, Jesus, sometimes I'm a little bit blind. Jesus, sometimes I'm a little bit lame. Jesus, I have areas in my life that are disabled, that aren't working properly, that are crippled, and I need healing. How will you find healing if you're hiding away? How will you find the, 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 the wholeness that Jesus has for you if you're hidden at the back? How will the church do its job of helping people connect with God if we tell people that they must hide what is broken in their lives? So here you see how religious people respond to this kind of church. Because religious people, they don't like that. They want everything perfect. You must, like it irritates, one of the things that irritates me, like I, I love all churches and where people want to honor God, you know, I'm all for them. But one of the things that really frustrates me when you go into some churches, I've been to some churches in Europe, for example, I walk in and they tell me to take my hat off. And I'm like, Jesus loves me with this hat. Jesus sees me when I wake up in the morning. And when you see my hair, you, you know why I put that hat on. I actually remember once walking in, in Westminster Abbey in London and took my cap off. And I was like, this is more dishonoring to God. What's happening on my head right now? is more offensive to the Lord than the cap. Some churches, you're not allowed to wear shorts. You, you have to have your knees covered. And I'm like, this is not God's heart. If Jesus was here, he would hand out shorts to everybody because he doesn't care about how you're dressed. He wants a real relationship with you. He wants a real authentic journey with you. But religious people get upset when this kind of authenticity comes into the church. And so it says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You know, sometimes I'm reminded of that when we have kids, oftentimes mine, that sneak out of kids and they come down here and they run around. Or after church, they're up here and they're, they're, they're running around and enjoying the space when, we, when we're having coffee and whatever. And it can feel inconvenient. Oh, we have children running around. But thank God for children that run around because those children in the future will begin to understand the love of God and they will begin to walk with the torch of the gospel and they will be the ones who will lead this place long after we're gone. So let them run around. Let there be life in this place. This is not a place for us to try and pretend like it's perfect. Sometimes we'll have kids running around and windows breaking and, and, and things falling over. That's okay. We're a place of life. We're a place of family. We're not trying to pretend like we're a perfect place. So Jesus said to them, have you, haven't you read the Bible? Don't you see that God has prepared that even out of the mouths of babies, praise will come forth? But our problem is that we want to keep pretending like we have everything sorted out. And so there's a disconnect created between your real life and your relationship with God. And the moment that happens, you lose, the church loses its sense of journey, the sense of purpose, and it just becomes a, prep, a, a pep talk before lunch. Like, hey, I, I need a little bit of encouragement for the week. Let me go get a pep talk, and I'll feel better, and I'll go eat lunch, and then I'll, I'll forget about church. It, 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 you're disconnecting the church, the journey from your real life. 
And we lose sight of the great adventure, and that's when church becomes boring. That's when we get filled with religious pride. A real relationship with Jesus starts the moment you can be honest and say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need a journey. Jesus, I need to change. Please step into my mess and help me figure this out. So real quickly, I'm going to give you three things that will keep you from living an authentic life and journeying authentically with Jesus. And the first one is when you think you have to earn and pay your way to God. When you think that you have to earn your way to God. When you haven't settled in your heart that God loves and accepts you because of the finished work of the cross, not because of anything that you have done. Even spiritual disciplines, which are good for us to incorporate into our lives, can be perverted and become an attempt for us to earn God's love. And I want you to know that God doesn't want you to try and earn His love because He has already paid for you to have that love. And that includes coming to church. Church is not about paying your religious dues. It's about being on a journey with Jesus and with others. So let's start being honest with God and being on that journey. The second one, when you constantly feel that you have to impress others. That'll keep you from walking authentically. When you constantly feel like you have to impress others, like you can never be real about what's going on in your life. And that's really about seeking significance. It's really about saying, I'm not worth much if I don't have it all together. My worth is, is equid, equally proportionate to how many accolades I can rack up or money I can earn or, or things I can achieve. And trying to impress people, honestly, will make you do weird things. People will neglect their kids. They'll, they'll spend too much time at work. They'll get into financial trouble. They'll make unwise decisions because they're committed to impressing people, only to find out that those people don't even really care about what car you drive or what you've achieved. And so we end up chasing people and, and seeking their approval when they don't even really care. If God's acceptance of you is not enough, life will deeply wound you. If God's acceptance of you is not enough, it puts you in danger. It will lead you to pretend like you always have it together. And we don't want that. So here at Anchor Church, I'm going to make this a rule. There are no perfect people allowed, all right? Which means all of you are allowed, okay? All of us are allowed here. The final one, when you lose sight of God's purpose for your life. When you lose sight of the fact that you are here to know God and to serve Him and to, and to walk with Him. And when you lose sight of this adventure that we get to go on in pursuing the reason for which Christ pursued us, then life becomes all about you and your comfort. It becomes all about how great you can set it up for yourself and you forget about the person that God has created you to be. And instead, you just become self-obsessed. Let me tell you, God didn't create us to be self-obsessed and self-centered. He delivered us from that. That's literally freedom. Through the gospel, we receive the freedom to forget ourselves. And it is the greatest blessing that you'll ever experience. It's better than Wakiwa Springs. It's better than Bora Bora. It's better than an ice cave in Iceland. It's better than, than any place that you could ever travel to is this place where you simply forget to focus on yourself all the time and you start living from an authentic place towards God and for others. Man, there is nothing like it on the planet. You will be more stress-free than you've ever been. 
Why are we so stressed? Because we're constantly obsessed with getting what we need. Getting ahead and, 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 and uh, making a way for ourselves. But God has a purpose for your life. And the more you discover that, the more you, there's no more time for pretense. All I want to do is, is, is build church. When Jesus had his purpose before him, it says that he set his, his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was just focused on what God had for him. And when you find your purpose in life, it enables, it enables you to focus on the calling rather than being wrapped up in yourself. And that allows you to live more authentically. Jesus' death on the cross justified us. It made us right with God. He has eternally settled our worth and our significance regardless of what we have or what we do. And he has brought us into a life filled with purpose where we, all of us, get to be a part of this amazing story of redemption that God is writing through the generations. Each of us have been given a part to play. Each of us have been given a, a role uh, to fulfill in this journey. And we get to be a part of God's story of redemption in changing the world and in influencing people's lives and in seeing lives changed. What could be better than that? What could be better? And so our church is an imperfect church filled with imperfect people, but we serve a perfect Savior who's going to work His perfect work through our imperfections and is going to cause things to happen in people's lives that is worth more than all the money or all the accolades or all the comfort that you could ever buy in this world. One life changed. How much more valuable is that than anything else that we can achieve, anything else that we can do? And we get to be a part of what God is doing. I love that that entire chapter. It says that Jesus flips the temple upside down and um, he, he, he makes a mess out and he says, I want a real relationship with you, not some religious pretense. And then it says this in that final part. It says, and leaving there, leaving them at the temple, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So Jesus didn't go and stay in the temple. He didn't go and live where, you know, the religious people live or stay in Jerusalem. He leaves the temple and he goes to a place called Bethany. Why did he lodge in Bethany? Because Bethany is the place where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. And Jesus would often, when he went to Jerusalem, walk outside of the city, the kilometers he had to walk to get to Bethany, and then he would stay with his friends. Jesus didn't live in a hotel. He didn't book an Airbnb. He didn't, you know, go to some fancy place. He went and stayed and lived with his friends. And I believe that Jesus wants to lodge with you. When you leave here today, Jesus doesn't stay behind in this building. He doesn't live in the temple. He lodges with you, with his friends. He goes with you wherever you go. Why? Because he wants to be a part of your everyday real life. He wants to speak into it. He wants to encourage you. He wants to help you to transform. He wants you to become all that God has destined for you to be. And the church, the community, is a part of that process. It's sacred. It's valuable. It's beautiful. Don't short-circuit the process. Commit to the journey and see the beautiful things that God will reveal to you on that journey and in that process. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together today.